Hey everybody, welcome back to today's version of the Don Purdom Show. I am excited to have with me Pennsylvania Senator Ryan Ahmed. Ryan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thrilled to be with you, Don. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now as I said, Ryan is a is a Pennsylvania State Senator who serves on a number of different committees. One of them is he's the chairman of the Senate Communications and Technology Committee, and he is also a fellow veteran of the United States Army. So, Ryan, why don't you take just a few moments, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your Army story as well, and, uh, and what led you to ultimately running for higher office? Yeah, I appreciate it, Don. So I, I'm a Lancaster County native. I grew up on a dairy farm in the southern part of Lancaster County. Uh, when I was about 10 years of age, my uh, uh, my mom and dad moved off the farm. My dad uh, became a truck driver and ultimately started his own, own trucking company. I graduated from high school in 1995 and then went on to the Citadel Military College of South Carolina, where I graduated in 1999 was commissioned a second lieutenant in the Army, was branched in the infantry, and spent a year at Fort Benning, Georgia doing infantry training before I headed out to Fort Carson, Colorado to serve uh, as a rifle platoon leader, uh, company executive officer, and uh, I was serving in that capacity on 9-11. My term in the office, or, or excuse me, my uh, my time in the Army uh, essentially evenly split uh, split between 9-11, two years of service prior to September the 11th, 2001, two years after. It became very clear after 9-11 throughout 2002 that the unit that I was assigned in the 1st Battalion, 8th Infantry Regiment of the 4th Infantry Division was going to be asked to deploy overseas to Iraq. I uh, was part of the initial uh, invasion force uh, into Iraq in early 2003, commanded a company there after my company commander was wounded for a period of time, served on battalion staff, and uh, ultimately uh, got out of the Army and came back home to Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania at the end of 2003, early 2004. And, uh, hmm. and uh, I, I, like, I, like many veterans, uh, many folks who've served uh, overseas, I think probably come home and have um, have a period of time in which they sort of struggle through, okay, now what? What am I going to do that's going to top this experience where I can continue to provide this level of, of, of public service? And, and I was also overwhelmed with this sense that I was fortunate to be alive, that there were soldiers, men and women I served with, that would not have the opportunity to return home, would not have the opportunity to form families to serve their communities. And that really, for me, became uh, a real powerful motivator to get involved in public service, elective public service. Hmm. Well, number one, thank you for your military service. Yesterday being Memorial Day, I'm sure that a lot of those friends that you had that didn't come home uh, weighed heavy on your mind. And I know that all of our thoughts and prayers are with those families over this last holiday weekend. And thank you also for your continued public service. It's a vital thing that people do when they step up to run for office, no matter what level it's at. And it comes with its own set of, of joys and, and, and fun things, but it also probably comes with a whole lot of pain and heartache at different levels as well. So thank you for your service there. 
Well, I, I appreciate it. It's been incredibly rewarding the uh, four years that I served in the state. Well, before then, local government and, and Lancaster County's clerk of courts for three years, a state house member for four years, and now serving my first term in the state senate. It's been incredibly rewarding, incredibly fulfilling. Uh, without a doubt, there are moments of frustration, uh, oftentimes far too often. Progress, uh, progress seems like two steps forward, one step back. Um, and uh, but but it has been an incredible experience. I've been blessed with a very supportive family. They make tremendous sacrifices so that I'm able to do this. I think that's what a lot of folks uh, a lot of folks uh, miss is uh, like like with many jobs, your family is, is very much a part of of the work. And uh, so I'm blessed with a, a wonderful family. Absolutely, and I it would be remiss for me to not mention that you also are going to be running for re-election this. Uh, in a year and a half, and uh, right. so we're certainly wishing you well wishes for that. Right. Yeah, so here yeah, we go so again. Four years goes fast, doesn't it? I, I know. Now, I will say it's uh, uh, it's much better than those two-year house terms uh, where it sort of almost feels like you uh, you never stop running. I, I have enjoyed having the last two and a half years, three years, to really focus exclusively, almost exclusively, on, on the governing and uh, I look forward to I look forward to the interaction with the voters. They're going out and going door to door, making the phone calls, holding the events, uh, and interacting with with folks, and giving them an opportunity to provide uh, feedback and and ultimately uh, a vote uh, on on my performance. Well, let's jump into a conversation that's really near and dear to both our hearts. And you and I have had some one-on-one -on -one time to talk about this. And, and really, I know you've given a lot of deep thought to this topic today, and that's this whole idea that you have coined the Opportunity Society. And mm -hmm. what I'd like to ask you to do is, is take a minute and share a little bit about what that means to you. What is an Opportunity mm -hmm. Society, and what is the value of that concept to the public? Mm -hmm. Well, it's something that uh, I really began talking about when I was running for the Senate in 2014 and when I assumed office in early 2015, um, essentially laid this out as a uh, not the Opportunity Society or the Opportunity Agenda, laid this out really as, as almost a mission statement for, uh, for my staff. Um, and and, and what, what drove this for me was this sense as I was talking to constituents, as I was talking to the folks that I've privileged to, to represent, this anxiety, this concern that, that, uh, that, that life, that, that folks, I shouldn't say life, but, but folks seem, seem to feel as though they're falling further and further behind. And for, for the first time, certainly in recent American history, there's this sense that our children and grandchildren will not have more doors of opportunity open, uh, more doors available to them, that, that in fact our children and grandchildren will have less opportunity. And, and as I think on this and as I reflected on these conversations that I was having with, with constituents, um, frankly, I think it's a lot of this economic anxiety and anxiety over upward mobility and economic opportunity that drove the, uh, the national election results uh, this, this, this past November was this deep anxiety. And as I reflected on this, I, I really believed that, that it was important that we craft an opportunity agenda in Pennsylvania that essentially it, its goal, its mission is to ensure that all of our citizens, all Pennsylvanians, have the opportunity to experience economic 
success, to experience economic opportunity and, and upward mobility. But that should really be at the heart of what we're trying to do. And how is it that we do that? What, what, what are those things that drive economic opportunity and upward mobility? And I, I would submit strong family. I would submit strong, vibrant communities. I would submit the free enterprise system. And I would submit a quality education system. And so as I have uh, as I've, uh, served in the state senate now these last three years, I have been uh, very much focused on policies promoting strong families, vibrant communities, the free enterprise system, and a quality education system. You know, the whole strong families really resonates with me. I saw a report not too long ago, and I, I wish I could remember exactly where I saw that off the top of my head now. But I've seen a report that suggested that for those individuals that not just have the most satisfaction and fulfillment of life, but those who tend to be the most successful in pursuing their dreams, they usually have a family attached to them that is supporting and enabling them through that process. And if you look at most people across the board, I think that, that, that struggle, sometimes they don't have that support. And that is so vital that you bring that up because it doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse. That could be, that could be a parent. Yeah, no, you're, and there's been phenomenal research done in recent years that points to improved economic outcomes, actually improved GDP, if we could just simply encourage, public policy encourage, and folks would, in fact, go to school, get a job, mm -hmm. get married, have children, and to do so in that order. Mm. And so, um, so the marriage is, is, is vitally important. Uh, coming together, forming families, having children, having children, excuse me, is, is, is a foundation of our culture, is a foundation of society, and is phenomenally important and drives, certainly drives personal happiness and economic opportunity. Hmm. You know, we leave that part of the equation out so much when we talk about job creation and, and we talk about, you know, entrepreneurship or we talk about expanding the economy. And that is such a really strong focus that I'm glad that you brought up today. And, and one of the things that I've discovered along the journey, I mean, you know, I've owned seven businesses over the course of 12 years, and I've had some that were phenomenally successful, and I've had a few that just well, they're so, such horrific failures that I'm scared to even talk about them. But the fact of the matter is we learn from those failures from each other, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that, that's right. And, you, learn, uh, you learn resiliency. That's right. Yeah. You don't ever learn to appreciate success until you've endured failure. Yes. Um, with, and with, I think with, that's with, true with anything. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I was thinking about this whole idea of, of, of an opportunity society, what was kind of going through my mind as, as we had talked about it was this whole idea that there's a lot of people out there that have bought into the big government ideas of if you can't make it, we're going to take care of you. And I think, I think there's a, a very healthy place for a safety net. I think we're a rich yeah. enough country that we can provide a lot of those things for, for our citizens. However. I think one of the traps that we've fallen into is that we become dependent on big government instead of realizing the unleashing potential and power of small government 
and, and how it empowers individuals to pursue having family lives, building businesses, finding jobs that brings them satisfaction and fulfillment. And I think most importantly, breaks them out of that, what I like to call the government prism. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be in a government prison, right? You think of prison, you think of chains and bars and all kinds of bad stuff. But isn't it just as bad for those people who kind of get stuck in the mindset of, well, if I only, if I do A, B, and C, then I lose D. So if I go get a, an education and get a great job, then I'm going to lose this government benefit. And, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that those aren't real healthy mindsets. I'd like to kind of know some of your thinking around how do we help people from a policy perspective break out of that mindset? Mm-hmm. No, there, there's been tremendous consequences in that mindset because there, there's, uh, in addition to the economic and the financial benefits of work, there's a real benefit in terms of, uh, in terms of, of, of personal satisfaction and, and, and meaning. Um, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sense of purpose and meaning that comes with work that is, that is, so, is so vital to people. In fact, when you look at a lot of the statistics around the heroin epidemic and, and uh, the, the opioid abuse epidemic, so much of that can be tied, it can be tied directly to, um, to, to um, hopelessness, feelings of, of hopelessness and economic hopelessness and economic anxiety and the, the, loss, of a, the loss of a job, the loss of, of meaningful, uh, 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 a meaningful way of life or a sense of purpose. It's, 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 so, it's so important. And, and when you look at it, I think this is one of the great, great tragedies, really, of the last 50 years, um, the amount of money, um, trillions of dollars, that has been poured into the war on poverty. And when you look at every meaningful statistic, the reality is, is the poverty rate is unchanged. Trillions of dollars, 50 years, and a poverty rate that is essentially unchanged. What we've done is we've made poverty more comfortable, but the goal of lifting people out of poverty, that's, that's, not, that's not what's happened, and that's why I think we need this opportunity agenda. The safety, as you pointed out, the social safety net is, is, is important. There need, for those that are, and I've met with them, I've talked to those with, with intellectual disabilities, with um, with physical disabilities, um, those that need need help for um, for a period of time while they're out of work. Um, there, there's a safety net that is, that is needed for and quality service for those folks. But for far too many outside of the social safety net, the, the, um, this has become a way of life to rely on um, government services, government programs, and there's a real disincentive to come off of those benefits and enter the workforce because of, frankly, the, the immediate loss of, of benefits and an uh, income, an entry-level income that uh, doesn't rise to the level of the benefits that they receive. So I think we have to look at that entire system. One, recognize there's a need for a safety net. Two, to ensure that our systems, whether it be Social Security disability, whether it be welfare, whether it be Medicaid, that, that, we, are, that we are ensuring that those resources are there to help those in genuine need. 
and that we're providing a pathway to employment and upper mobility for those that perhaps need help for a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here's, here's Don Purdom talking. This is just me talking my own opinion on this. But what I think is that you're going to have any time Anytime, Senator, you introduce something, an idea like this, that, that takes the idea of taking people off dependence and, and making them self-responsible for their lives, the other side of the aisle, the, the Democrats and the liberal wing of the Democrat Party in particular, it just goes into an uproar that it, here's that big, bad, mean Republican coming to take your stuff from you again. Mm-hmm. And I'm of the persuasion that you know what, if there's anybody out there today listening to this call, I would love to talk with you. I would love to hear your story. If you as that person that had something tragic happen in your life, or maybe you were a person that just didn't have the means to rise above it, and you were kind of stuck in that for a while, and you decided that that's not what you wanted, and you went out and you decided, I've got a dream, and I've got, a, I've got something I want to do with my life other than this, and you went out and did it, I would, I'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear your story because for every person out there that would want to demonize somebody in, in, in politics who would say, we want to give you upward mobility so that you can discover your dream and pursue it, you know, to me, Ryan, that's what America's all about. If, that's if that's we right. Don't, that's right. We, it, it, yeah, you're right. These, these, these issues, uh, conservatives get painted as being – um, as, as being um, out of touch or being hateful, being cruel. Uh, when the reality is, and I think we have to do, as conservatives, do a better job of articulating what we're for, do a better job of painting a picture of an opportunity society and talk about the dignity of work. That, 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 that we, we want to preserve um, the dignity. And, 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 and we see value in, in all citizens all citizens, whether they have an intellectual, um, intellectual disability or a physical disability or have had a rough go of it, that they are men and women of dignity designed with purpose. And, and that's what we're for. Uh, absolutely, Senator. And if we had more people like yourself that were in state houses all over this country and in Congress uh, that were talking about the hopeful side of it, the bright side, the inspiring side, and that we're leading people to that pursuit of their dreams. Whatever dream that is, no matter how small or how big, America was always built on the big idea that if you have a dream, you can pursue it. And the only one who can stop you from doing that is you. We need more leaders like yourself that will stand up and say that message over and over again across this country, because there are people and, out and there get, that and don't get government out of the way. Get government out of the way yeah. of human potential. A- absolutely, because it is the biggest prohibitor of human potential mm-hmm. that's out there. I I had a conversation a couple of months ago in Washington D.C. with a uh, just with a person that I that I was down there on business on, and we were having a little debate about you know, this big government, small government thing. And my question to them was, was simply this, and it stopped the conversation. I, I hope I made them think. <laughs> but, but I simply asked them this. Would you rather somebody live their whole life trapped into being all that they are, or would you rather have policies that put people in a position to become all that they can be? 
That's right. And that ended the conversation because there's there's only one obvious answer to that question. The, the next only logical question can be, what form of government empowers that to happen? Yeah. That's that's the no, that, only that's, other that's, logical question that exists. One one of the areas that I have been uh, particularly passionate about, and I mentioned this as sort of being a component of an opportunity society, is is education. And mm. I, I have I have spent a lot of time um, in visiting schools and talking with parents and talking to students, and we have all over this state, all over this country, we have students and a significant percentage of whom are African-American children who are trapped in a cycle of poverty, are trapped in persistently failing schools, but yet we have the defenders of the status quo who are quite literally standing in the schoolhouse door and saying these children cannot leave this school. And, and, mm. and, and uh, it's, in my mind, it's absolutely immoral. Um, there's been just phenomenal work done in, uh, in, in a number of states across the country with regard to uh, charter schools, the charter reform movement, the school choice movement, and giving these children, giving students the opportunity, the opportunity to receive a high-quality education and break for themselves and their families to break out of that cycle of poverty. But but far too often it is government, powerful special interests, defenders of the status quo who who present that type of innovative reform. Hmm. Well, Senator, it sounds like we have a lot of work on our hands, don't we? We we do. We do. But 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 I am hopeful because I, I believe um, that certainly as I've been talking about these issues and talking about this opportunity agenda, there's been widespread and bipartisan, uh, bipartisan support for, for that type of approach. I think we have a number, as I look in Pennsylvania, as I look at our General Assembly, a number of folks who've been elected in recent years share this, uh, share this perspective. We saw the results of this last November election. Uh, where I think folks are, are waking up to many of these issues, are, are responding to the economic anxiety they feel, they feel are in, and getting engaged um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a new way. Uh, and so mm. I, I'm, I'm hopeful. We have a lot of work to do, uh, but I'm hopeful that we can make these changes. Well, you know, Senator, you're you're in one of those unique situations as a as a public servant to do something that those of us who are not public servants can't do. And one of the things I look at in the state of Pennsylvania, and I know that there's a lot of reasons for this. I know, and we don't have time to get into all of it today. But you know, you're, we're looking at all over this country. States just like Pennsylvania are in trouble. You know, we have a $3 billion deficit uh, in the next couple of years coming up in this state. I saw recently where Connecticut is running a $2 billion deficit in the next year, and they are in big, big trouble in Connecticut. I understand New Jersey, Illinois. There's a number of states that are facing some pretty severe crisis that are coming up. And wouldn't it be a great thing if we could put people in office that understand 
if you give power back to the people and reduce the cost of government across the board, it will not only fill up the government coffers, as President Reagan proved to us, but it will unleash all that untapped potential across this state for people to pursue their dreams, live their lives, find happiness, and, and do the things that brings them satisfaction and fulfillment. You're, you're, you're exactly right. In each of those states you've mentioned, there has been uh, chronic overspending, spending well beyond the rate of inflation, big government. And in each of those states, um, there are demographic trends. Uh, demographic trends exist that are that are working against um, that that uh, sort of are working against balanced budgets, working against productivity in this in, in this way. In each of those states, you have an aging demographic who are consuming more and more government services, social and human services, and fewer and fewer citizens who are in prime working age to support those programs and generating revenue, producing. And, and what we need, and this is why I'm so passionate, in addition to um, giving folks purpose and, and dignity, but just in terms of, of, of the fiscal situation of the state, the economic situation of the state, um, we must, we must, create an opportunity for society to generate economic growth um, to ensure Pennsylvania is an attractive place for entrepreneurs, for employers, for folks to be employed so that we are generating, that we are generating revenues. We are running out of options in terms of just, uh, in terms of asking businesses and families to pay more in, in taxes. And in fact, that's counterproductive. Well, Senator, we're just about out of our time together today. I want to absolutely thank you so much for being on the show today to share your insights, your experiences, your uh, philosophy and opinions on this really, really important issue. I'd love to have you in the near future. Come back again and, and, and share with the audience again on some of these other core things that you're really passionate about. And, uh, and yeah, would that be something you'd be interested in doing? I, I would love to do it. Enjoyed the program, the conversation very, very much, and uh, can't wait to be back. Well, fantastic. Everybody, what I want you to do right now is whatever you're doing, if you're one of those people that has had one of those experiences that Ryan and I have been talking about, you were, you were trapped in your situation, whatever that situation might have been, and you decided that you were going to break free from that, you were going to go pursue your dream, you were going to make a better life for you and your family, whatever the case may be, I want you to reach out to me. You can go to Donald Purdom, that's D-O-N-A-L-D-P-U-R, D as in David, U, M as in Mike, DonaldPurdom.com. Go to that contact page and please reach out to me. I want to hear your story. I want to hear how... You went from being in your own life of captivity to one of freedom and opportunity. And I'm sure the senator would love to hear that story as well, because there's people that need to be inspired by you. And so even though people like Senator Rahman are out there fighting for us every day and trying to give us every opportunity to, to achieve our dreams, ultimately, it's up to each one of us as individuals to do that for ourselves. And sometimes... There are folks out there that just need that push. They just need to know that somebody's ahead of them and has already done it. So if you will share your story, it will make a life-changing difference for somebody else out there who just needs that nudge so that they can go do it themselves as well. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. Until tomorrow, uh, we'll be back with a whole new show with a whole new topic, and we'll look forward to seeing you then.